Welcome to the Runa Bad Guys Day Radio Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Skip Myers reporting on the catch of the day. And today's catch of the day comes from the FBI. Credit card cloners stole thousands of credit card numbers. Frauzers use overseas hackers to get card numbers. The FBI says a prolific credit card scammer who continued his crimes from behind bars is now serving a lengthy sentence thanks to a multi-agency investigation into, into his card cloning operation. From 2014 to 2016, Syracuse, New York resident Daquan Rice, 23, and several associates purchased credit card numbers online from hackers from Russia, Pakistan, and the Ukraine who sell the information they steal. Rice also bought credit card numbers from a friend who worked at a Syracuse restaurant who had skimmed card numbers from customer credit cards on Rice's behalf. Rice had an associate in New York City with a credit card cloning machine, and he would provide the numbers to the person to make new cards for him. Rice and his accomplices then used the credit cards to buy gift cards, which they would convert into cash or money orders. It's unfortunately not that hard or complicated to get your hands on stolen credit card numbers, said Special Agent Brandon Mercer of the FBI's Albany Division, who investigated this case along with the U.S. Postal Service, New York State Police, and local law enforcement. This information is readily available on the dark web from hackers and other criminals. There is nothing a merchant could have done to stop this fraudulent transaction, he said, because the thieves just put the fake cards in their own names. So even if a cashier asked for identification, the name on the credit card would match their ID. It's a numbers game, he said. They would print out hundreds of these cards. They would go to the register and swipe, and if it didn't work, they'd just throw it away and use the next one, Mercer said. A lot of these cards were only able to be used once because the cardholder noticed the fraudulent activity and then shut the card down. The Frosers made about $80,000 over two years. After his 2016 arrest for credit card cloning, Rice tried to continue his scheme from his jail cell. In 2017, he worked with an accomplice who was not in prison to put more than $8,000 in funds stolen through the credit card fraud on scheme on Rice's prison commissary account. Rice tried to use that account to write large checks, but the prison shut down his account for the unusual activity and then contacted the FBI. Rice later pleaded guilty to wire fraud, money laundering, and aggravated identity theft, and in October, he was sentenced to more than 11 years in prison. Several other accomplices have also been sentenced for their roles in this scheme. Mercer said, Large-scale credit card schemes like this one are important investigations for the FBI because of the sheer volume of crime with hundreds of credit card numbers and thousands of dollars stolen. It's also a reminder to the public to be vigilant about fraud. It's important to do the simple things, checking bank statements, checking your credit report regularly, and making sure you're signed up for any suspicious transaction alerts from your bank or credit card issuer, Mercer says. So let's dive into this article a little bit deeper. And here's the section I want to dive into a little bit more. It says here that that Rice and several of his associates purchased credit card numbers online from hackers in Russia, Pakistan, and the Ukraine. And then they would sell the information that they stole. Rice also bought credit card numbers from a friend who worked at a Syracuse restaurant who had skimmed the numbers. These are the credit card numbers from customer credit cards on his behalf. And then Rice had an associate in New York City with a credit card cloning machine. It's a skimming device that he would provide the numbers to the person to make the new cards for him. 
This is interesting because this is a this is a criminal enterprise operating for the sole purpose of using your stolen information for financial gain. So let's break this down. The first paragraph uh, says that they purchase credit card numbers online from hackers in Russia, Pakistan, and the Ukraine. So again, what's troubling about this is that your personal information, your financial records, uh, are in the hands of fraudsters all over the world. So it makes it very interesting to me how Americans' financial and personal information is in the hands of bad actors, fraudsters, criminals that are located in countries all over, all over the world. And what's interesting about this is that the article doesn't go into explain really what these networks are, but these are carding networks or carters. And carding is a term that describes the trafficking of stolen credit cards. It's the trafficking of bank accounts and other personal information that is sold online uh, as part of a, a service to fraudsters. And so these activities involve the procurement of certain personal details that belong to you and your financial records, just not credit card numbers, but everything that surrounds the credit card number. So it's going to be your name and address, the CVV number, the date, the uh, the expiration date. And it's all, again, part of a bigger scheme that involves money laundering techniques. So a lot of the modern carding sites today are actual full-service uh, websites, full-service commercial entities and businesses that are actually out there, not even just on the dark web, but actually on the Internet itself. And if you don't know, um, feel free to Google carding network or carding forums, and you'll see the proliferation of the companies that are out there selling stolen identification to to the highest bidder. So a lot of this, again, uh, started years ago, and even before the Internet, the earliest acquisition of, of methods to seal your personal information um, associated to financial records or personal records is uh, carding methods before even carding was even the word back then. It was just pretty much dumpster diving or trashing for financial data. In other words, raiding mailboxes or raiding trash cans for information and working with insiders with the different information that can use that bank card information or personal information and then sell it to the highest bidder. And again, that's a lot of times used uh, in putting together the carding network information so that they can put together credit card numbers via bin attacks or sometimes the carters will attempt to distribute um, different means of guessing different information because they don't always have every piece of that personal uh, identification that belongs to you to deliver on uh, the, the fraudulent transaction. In other words, they're trying to discover valid numbers by submitting numbers across a high number of e-commerce sites all at the same time. So let's talk about the second part of this. So it, would, it says here that Rice also bought credit card numbers from a friend who worked at a restaurant who had skimmed credit card numbers from customer credit cards on his behalf. So how do, how do you do that? Well, uh, you can Google credit card skimmer and you'll see all kinds of different equipment, pretty much equipment that could fit in your pocket. And this is something that's pretty prevalent a lot of times when your credit card leaves your hand for payment. So it could be a restaurant. You hand your card off to the waiter and he goes to whatever machine or pin pad to 
uh, for you to pay for your meal. But meanwhile, in his pocket, he's got a credit card skimmer, a credit card cloning device, and he'll swipe your card on that device, and it'll capture everything that's embedded in the magnetic stripe. And so what that does is help them acquire all that credit card and associate financial data that's on that credit card. And these skimmers can be used at not just restaurants or bad guys in person, but they're, they're skimmers at ATM machines, they're at gas stations, and at different places that will intercept that credit card data uh, at that point of sale or before the point of sale. So they're stealing this information to be reused again. So these credit card cloning machines or the skimming devices, uh, you can Google this. Uh, a lot of the major uh, legitimate online e-commerce retailers, you, you can purchase these devices uh, from low as 20 bucks up to several hundred dollars, depending on the sophistication of that electronic skimming device. So you can buy these devices um, legally on the net. Uh, very simple to do. And that, that's just the beginning of it. So you're, you're using the skimming machine to steal credit card numbers from legitimate people. And that's just the start of it. So the other information you will need as a, as a, a hacker or uh, in this case, like this individual that was busted for doing this, is that you'll need access to maybe other means. So maybe your fraudulent business is really growing and you, you just don't have enough uh, customers that you're stealing credit card numbers in person, you go to the dark web and not even the dark web, just the internet. And you're going to these carding forums and these carding networks. Uh, they call them car credit card shops. And there's what they call dumps with pin numbers and different things on the dark net where the, through carding forms, you can purchase this information, uh, stolen credit card information, bin numbers, pin numbers, CBB numbers, all the things that you need to make these stolen credit cards real, they're available on the dark web or on the internet through these carding forums. So once you do that, you have, you got your skimming machine, you're skimming some, uh, through people that you've partnered with and different locations at eight, you know, you set up in a bogus skimming machine at an ATM or at a gas station. You got friends that work in restaurants like this guy had, who's using a skimming machine to steal credit card numbers, but then you need to do something with it. So the next thing you would probably need, uh, aside from the skimming device or, pur or purchasing stolen um, identities and credit card numbers off the dark web, would purchase some blank credit cards. And you're probably asking, what do you, how do you do that? Well, again, the internet's great. So you type in blank uh, credit card stock on the web, and you can purchase a hundred pack of blank credit card stock for about $275. And they have a nice little EMV chip on there that really makes it look really nice. So I purchased those cards. I, they have magnetic stripes on them. I've already skimmed stolen information in various ways, purchased uh, your information off the dark web so I can imprint these mag stripes uh, with this stolen information. But still, it's not a real card yet. There's nothing on it. Well, the next thing I would do um, as a fraudster, they would purchase an embossing machine. And you can pur and purchase these embossing machines off where? The internet. Not on the dark web, but on the internet. So for a couple hundred dollars, now you've purchased an embossing machine. And you can emboss the uh, actual credit card number that you've stolen and uh, imprinted on the mag stripe now on the front of the card along with the expiration date. And so lo and behold, you have credit card that looks to be uh, real and usable at, at a retailer of your choice. The, ne the next part of this is that 
The special agent says there was nothing a merchant could have done to stop the fraudulent transaction because the thieves put the fake cards in their own names. So even if the cashier asked for identification, the name on the credit card would have matched their ID. So the bad guys know how the system works. The, you know, if the card looks a little suspicious, you know, and the cashier looks at it and says, hey, I need to see some identification. And the bad guys, I don't put a different name on there. He's going to put the same name. Or in this case, at this level of sophistication today, the bad guy is counterfeiting real driver's licenses. So the names will match up uh, perfectly. And it looks like it's a regular transaction in a legitimate credit card. So why is this important for a physical retailer to know? Well, that's because your pin pad that is set up to accept EMV chip ready credit cards it does have a default on it. It's called a fallback. If the EMV chip doesn't read, in this case, the bad guys are manufacturing counterfeit credit cards with stolen information. They're not embedding that information into that bogus chip or that chip that's on that looks like a chip on these stolen uh, credit card stock that they're using. But what they're doing is imprinting that information on the mag stripe. So your pin pad is set up, hopefully, to read chip enabled emv enabled credit cards but if the chip reader on your pin pad cannot read the emv chip after three attempts it defaults or what what the programmers say it falls back to a mag stripe because nobody wants to lose a transaction and no one wants an upset customer so what what happens is is that card defaults to the mag stripe and the customer swipes the card like they normally would well, the bad guys know that. They know that the chip's not going to read. They're not in, inputting uh, or embedding your stolen information there. They're doing it on the mag stripe. They act like they're using the pin pad. They know the chip's not going to read. They know the pin pad is on a default or fall back to the mag stripe, and then they use the mag stripe. So why is this important? It's important because so many retailers and people in the fraud prevention business maybe don't really understand how the pin pad works. Why am I still getting more fraud? Why is these things happening uh, in my cash line? Why are we still getting chargebacks? Well, it's because your pin pad falls back or defaults to the mag stripe when the pin pad cannot read the EMV chip. All right, let's break down the article a little bit more. And to emphasize what the special agent said about uh, it's important to do the simple things. Checking your bank statements, checking your credit report regularly, and making sure you have signed up for any suspicious transaction alerts on your bank or credit card uh, that they may offer. This is very important. And so these are different ways to protect your identity or protect yourself from this type of fraud. You know, when your information is on the dark web or available in these carding forums, which it most likely is, um, don't be so naive to believe that your information hasn't been compromised through some major data breach in the last several years. It probably has. But ways you can protect yourself from this in case it has been compromised and it's going to be used, let's say, in a credit card uh, transaction or even in some other means is to one change and strengthen your passwords on a regular basis. So set up a routine where you're changing and strengthening your passwords. So I always recommend an eight to 12 character password that involves upper and lowercase uh, letters. And then it actually is uses numbers and special characters. So when you use that combination, it makes it much harder for a bad guy to hack your password. And once you you change your passwords on a regular basis, let's say the bad guys compromise an account of yours and obtain your password. Well, if you're changing on a regular basis, they're not going to be able to use that password like they thought they should have. Also, be careful about any information you share on your personal accounts. 
uh, especially people uh, on their Facebook accounts, things like that, you know, how old you are, your full name, your phone number, you know, different things like that that the bad guys could use to maybe um, social engineer uh, different sites to get, obtain more information, like maybe different identifiers personal to you that would help open up an account. So be careful about how you use your personal and share your personal information. And just like the special agent said, it's so important to check those credit reports uh, that you have on a regular basis. I like to do it on a quarterly basis through the three main credit bureaus, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. Very important to do that to see if there's any uh, strange or suspicious activity on your credit reports. Uh, one thing, too, we mentioned earlier, some of the earliest forms of carding involved dumpster diving or mailbox raiding or, you know, people, you know, bad guys rummaging through trash cans. Uh, you know, buy a shredder at your house. Uh, have it there when you get your mail or you're done with your mail, especially if it's involving personal uh, mail from your banks or financial institutions, you know, use that shredder and shred that mail so that if it is fished out of garbage cans bad guy, by bad guys, um, it's highly unlikely that they're going to be able to read any of that personal information. Again, uh, always keep an eye on your financial statements. We talked about credit reports, but your financial statements that come from your credit card companies and issuers in your bank accounts to make sure that there's no uh, suspicious activity uh, on those accounts. And if there is, you need to report that immediately. And one other thing, too, I keep talking about this. If you do travel or if you're uh, maybe you don't have Wi-Fi at your house, you go to a coffee shops or some other business that offers free Wi-Fi, consider using a VPN. A VPN is a, a virtual private network. They're very inexpensive. And what they pretty much do is if you go to a free Wi-Fi location, you connect through a VPN. And through the virtual private network, it, 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 it encrypts your data so no one else can steal it. And that you, this is a way... Uh, again, if you don't have a VPN, the bad guys will be an imposter. In other words, you may think you're logging on to Skip's Coffee Shop Wi-Fi, but it's Skip's Coffee Shop misspelled Wi-Fi, and it's a bad guy in a parking lot, and you're going through his Wi-Fi and his PC, and he's key logging or logging every keystroke, your password, your usernames, or anything that you do on any account, and he's able to get that and... Um, and you, he will not be able to get that if you use a legitimate VPN service. So take, take that in consideration um, when you're out using free Wi-Fi uh, out and about. So, again, let's, let's go back to some of the, the easy steps here. Uh, check your bank statements on a regular basis. You know, check your credit report um, at least quarterly. Use strong and long uh, passwords. And consider using a VPN service when you log on to free uh, Wi-Fi hotspots. That's very important. So the, the the moral of this story is to understand that the bad guys are out there. They're really all over the place. They're international. And just like this case, this particular fraudster here in the U.S. is purchasing uh, Americans' personal financial and personal information from countries like Russia and, the pa and Pakistan and the Ukraine. And the biggest question is, how do these bad guys get this information? And, you know, well, we, we may never know. But know that, that it, it is happening. And the best way you can safeguard yourself is using some common sense, taking your uh, security of your personal information very seriously, and understand everything that you do on the Internet has the potential of being compromised by a fraudster. So stay vigilant about fraud. 
educate yourselves and those around you at home and at your business, and be very, very careful during the holidays. Have a great day, everyone, and let's all ruin a bad guy's day. Thanks for listening to Ruin a Bad Guy's Day radio podcast with Skip Myers. If you liked our show, please tell your friends and colleagues. You can learn more about us at ruinabadguysday.com or visit us on Twitter and Facebook at Ruin a Bad Guy's Day. Join us for another episode of Ruin a Bad Guy's Day radio podcast. The information provided in Ruin a Bad Guy's Day radio podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. You should consult with legal counsel or other professionals to determine what may be best for your individual or organizational needs.